You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah Magaro George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. A lot has happened in a very short span of time this week, so we're going to go ahead and do a silver and black news update, starting with last night's 2021 NBA draft lottery results. You know, San Antonio had the 12th best odds of landing that top pick, drafting Cade Cunningham and going to the promised land, right? But the basketball gods weren't on their side, and unsurprisingly, they received the 12th overall pick. And we'll go ahead and keep the Spurs focused, but for now, those interested in the full results of the lottery... It ended up looking like this. Pistons 1, Rockets 2, Cavaliers 3, Raptors 4, Magic 5, Thunder 6, Warriors 7, Magic 8, Kings 9, Pelicans 10, Hornets 11, Spurs 12, Pacers 13, and Warriors rounding out the lottery with the 14th overall pick. And getting back to the Spurs, there are several players they can target at 12. But my question is, what direction is this franchise heading in? Do they want to target best player available, highest ceiling, best fit, or do they really need to evaluate this roster and move up to acquire better talent? You know, we had Ricky O'Donnell on the podcast last week, and his greatest criticism is not that this roster is not talented, but that they don't own a high-end talent who can push them into title contention, let alone playoff contention. And maybe we find something out with Derek White and DeJounte Murray and Keldon Johnson, and they take this great leap next season. But for now, I agree with Ricky's evaluation of this roster. So would they want to move up to acquire better talent? What would that even look like, really? Golden State owns the seventh pick, but they're presumably still in win-now mode. So maybe you can negotiate with them. Do you take on Andrew Wiggins for a sort of DeMar DeRozan sign-and-trade deal? How enticing is that for the Warriors? How enticing is that for the Spurs, for a guy who's owed over $60 million over the next two years? And I know that he played a lot better with the Warriors this year next to Steph Curry, but that's my thing. He was next to Steph Curry, and he played alongside Draymond Green. You bring him to the Spurs, his usage probably goes back up. And even if he is playing more off-ball... The Spurs don't really have the personnel to maximize his skill set. And maybe maybe that's not the goal. Maybe you've even got somebody like Kelly Oubre. I think he's actually going to be a free agent. If it's even possible to do like a double sign-and-trade where you send Oubre to the Spurs and DeMar to the Warriors. Again, are the Warriors interested in that? We know that there was a report this week that the Spurs youngsters were interested in playing with Kelly Oubre. And even though he's labeled as a sort of 3 and D player, that's not really his archetype. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's a fantastic defender. Don't get me wrong there, but I'm not sure he makes a lot of sense for this roster either. Cleveland also owns the third pick, and Adrian Wojnarowski said they would aggressively seek trades that could accelerate their rebuild. But who could the Spurs offer them that would entice general manager Kobe Altman to move on from that third pick? And even if you got the third pick, we know Cade Cunningham is the prize of this draft, a generational talent. Evan Mobley would go number one in most years. And so even though the Rockets have Christian Wood, I don't see them passing on someone like Mobley. It just doesn't make sense to me. So at the third pick, you're left with somebody like Jalen Green, maybe Jalen Suggs, Jonathan Kaminga. I just don't know that that's the guy you want to trade to get at three. And I'm not saying they're not valuable. 
I'm sure they can bring value. Kaminga, probably not right away. Jalen Green, probably not going to lead you anywhere right away either. And Jalen Suggs is a really, really solid player, but the infrastructure at Gonzaga was set up in a way that it just was perfect for him. And I think he's a talented player, and don't get me wrong, I do think he deserves to go top five. But not only is the question going to be how will they operate with the Spurs, but how did the Spurs get them? Who are they giving up? Do other teams value DeJounte? Do other teams value Derek? How much do other teams value Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson? Because you're probably going to have to gut your roster to a certain extent to attain that third pick. There really is a lot for Pop in the front office to consider here, but let's look at what route some of the major network mock drafts think San Antonio might go at 12. The Athletic has Alperin Shingoon. The Ringer has Alperin Shingoon. Sports Illustrated also has Alperin Shingoon. Bleacher Report says Josh Giddy. USA Today says Josh Giddy. And NBC Sports makes it a third Josh Giddy prediction. ESPN has Jalen Johnson. Yahoo Sports has James Booknight. SB Nation has Jaden Springer. CBS Sports has Isaiah Jackson. The New York Post says Corey Kispert. And DraftKings says Kai Jones. And Franz Wagner and Usman Garuba are two guys who also interest me in this range, though Wagner might not be there at 12, and some people might see Garuba as a reach inside of the lottery. Personally, I don't, but I can understand that point of view. So before we kind of move on from this topic, let's briefly talk about Shingun and Giddy, and we'll go more in depth on them and other prospects in future podcasts, but for now, here's my basic evaluation of these guys. Alperin Shingun is a throwback big who loves to operate in the post. He has some passing chops, and his free throw percentage was above 80%, which is really good. And that, combined with his touch around the rim, makes me think he can develop some range away from the basket. And he's not going to be able to space the floor with this jumper that he currently has when he gets to the NBA. And the shooting thing is more theoretical than anything right now. He's a little undersized at 6'10 for a center, and he has a pretty average-looking wingspan, limited vertical pop, slower feet. And while his fluidity is impressive and he's an active off-ball defender, I worry about how he fits defensively in the modern NBA. I don't see a lot of positional versatility on that side of the ball, and I think that's a genuine concern that needs to be addressed if you're going to take him in the lottery. But to be fair to Shingun, he starred for Besiktas and dominated grown men in the Turkish league, maybe the best domestic league in Europe at age 18, so I understand people being high on him. Plus, he's adept at getting to the foul line. He's one of, if not the best, offensive rebounders in this class, so the upside is clearly there. You can see the sort of mold of player, and, and I'm sure a guy like Nikola Jokic winning MVP gives people hope, but I think you have to be realistic with your expectations. I'm sure this guy can be a really good player, but I think to expect every single player who the Spurs draft in whatever range to be this you know, star or superstar is just not realistic. Can they get the most out of guys? Yes, but sometimes that doesn't mean superstar. We've seen it with George Hill. We've seen it with Dewan Blair. We've seen it with Kyle Anderson. You're getting the most out of these guys. But sometimes that's just a high-end role player, and there's nothing wrong with that. As for Josh Giddy, he's a 6'8 point guard who was a nightly triple-double threat for the Adelaide 36ers in Australia's National Basketball League. He thinks the game better than almost any prospect in this class, and his basketball IQ and ability to process and read the floor is off the charts for someone who's also 18, just like Shingun. He can make pretty much any pass in the book with either hand, but I have a few concerns as he prepares to enter the NBA. You know, some recent reports have him up 22 pounds in the last 12 months, but he's still pretty skinny and he has a slender frame 
frame. And while that in itself isn't necessarily a cause for concern, his aversion to contact combined with his poor standstill and off-the-dribble shooting, passiveness, and really all-around limited athleticism make me think this transition to the next level is going to be rough for him. That said, he's an aware team defender capable of making the right rotations. He's shown plenty of touch on floaters around the rim, and he is a solid finisher at the rim. He really is when he gets there. And if he's available at 12, I think it's going to be hard for the Spurs to pass on him. He's somebody who I really like, but again, there's going to be concerns with every prospect, but if he's there at 12, I think the Spurs have to take a long, hard look at Josh Giddy. Moving on, we also learned that the Salt Lake City Summer League, just like the Las Vegas Summer League, will be returning this August. It'll take place at Vivint Arena on August 3rd, 4th, and 6th and feature the San Antonio Spurs, Memphis Grizzlies, and two separate Utah Jazz teams. It's going to be a round-robin style event with two games per day and every team participating in three games by the end of the tournament. There's not going to be any sort of championship game, so winning and losing doesn't matter. Really just getting these guys experienced. So if I had to guess, the roster will probably look something like Luka Shamanich, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, whoever the Spurs pick with the 12th and 41st pick in the 2021 NBA draft, and then probably some you know free agent fillers in there. And I think this is going to be a really fun squad to keep track of this summer. So Spurs fans are going to want to tune in because Luka Shamanich, Devin Vassell, and Trey Jones were all really solid in flashes last year. And I think they have a chance to dominate the Summer League and maybe even take home a Las Vegas Summer League title in 2021. But we'll keep on moving. Team USA and Greg Popovich are going to have an interesting and talented-looking roster for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. So far, the commits are Damian Lillard, Draymond Green, Jason Tatum, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Bam Adebayo, James Harden, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Kevin Love, which leaves just one roster spot open. And who's going to land that last roster spot? Derek White and DeMar DeRozan were one of the 57 finalists Team USA named for their 12-man Tokyo Olympic roster earlier this year, but there are still plenty of other candidates who make more sense for a team that's already pretty guard-slash-wing heavy. Some of the players who make sense for the current roster construction probably include Zion Williamson, Julius Randle, Christian Wood, Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez, Andre Drummond, and even Montrez Harrell. We'll likely learn who fills this last opening sometime soon as USA Basketball begins training camp in Las Vegas on July 6th before heading to Tokyo for the group stages in late July. Team USA is going to be out for revenge this summer. They're going to be looking to prove something after a disappointing 7th place finish at the 2019 FIBA World Cup. So just stay tuned because they really want to assert themselves as the global force. The United States has always been ahead of the rest of the world in basketball, and this is a perfect opportunity for Greg Popovich and the rest of this USA roster to re-establish their name in the global basketball scene. And the last piece of news we have today is Becky Hammond becoming the first female to make it to the final round of interviews for an NBA head coaching gig. Of course, this opening is for the Portland Trailblazers after they fired Terry Stotts a few months ago. She joins Chauncey Billups, Mike D'Antoni, and six-time WNBA All-Star and South Carolina Gamecocks head coach Don Staley as the other finalist for this position. And Becky's been an assistant with the Spurs since the 2014-2015 season. She's made his History when she coached the 2015 Las Vegas Summer League team to a title, and she's continued breaking barriers, even this season when she became the first female acting head coach in NBA history after Pop was ejected during a matchup with the Lakers in late December. She's paid her dues as an assistant. She knows the game. She's more than deserving of a shot at being a lead play caller in the NBA. But if you're a Spurs fan, you're still holding out hope that she becomes Pop's successor, or, or at least I am. I really want to see her be with the San Antonio Spurs, continue her career with the San Antonio Spurs. Let me make this clear. 
I'll be proud of her regardless of what happens. But she's been in San Antonio as a member of the Silver Stars or the Spurs staff since 2007. So it would only be fitting for her to make history in a city that has fully embraced her. There have been murals painted around the 210 and plenty of support from the fan base across every social media platform. And I don't think there's a single person in San Antonio or should I say rational person in San Antonio who thinks she doesn't deserve a chance to be the Spurs next head coach. That about does it for this week, but thanks to everyone who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everyone up to date with their favorite teams. So check out what we've got going on over at our site. But until next time, take care, Spurs fans.